In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hey, friends, welcome to the 50th episode of The Counter. Stephen, 50, man, that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. And I feel like this isn't like the best week to be having our 50th episode because I was really, I don't know, I found like week 11 pretty boring. Maybe that's because I watched the Eagles and Browns game just before coming on. <laughs> why, why would you? Why would you put yourself in that mental space right before doing it? Uh, I think it's the best week because we have some amazing news, uh, some, some transactional news for the podcast. The big. Uh, a, a big signing for the counter, uh, Charles McDonald, who you guys might know as Forverts on Twitter, uh, who's been covering the New York football teams, the Jets and Giants for the New York Daily News, is going to be joining for the win and will be jumping on the counter with us. Uh, man, we're, we're thrilled. I mean, we're just ecstatic. Yeah, we got, we got our Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> and, some, and somehow I feel like this contributes to the Jets tanking. Like now that Charles isn't covering the team, it's it's just even more downhill from where they already were. I, I like this framing, though, because it suggests that any bad episodes we had up to this point, like was actually us going tanking, through the process. Yes. Yeah, we were just we were just tanking. So that episode 24, like. Sorry, we know it was terrible, but we were tanking. We sucked for Chuck. We need <laughs> we needed Charles McDonald. Uh, I don't know when uh, Charles. I think starts December seventh. Uh, so you know we will have him on the show for the playoff push and and into the playoffs. Uh, so we'll we'll figure out the exact timing of all of that. But uh, you know if you don't follow him yet on Twitter, you should. Uh, you know, definitely one of the, the brightest minds talking about football, brightest young minds on, on football anywhere. Uh, and so we could just not be more excited to be adding him to the group. Uh, and can't wait. I mean, going to be fun. Uh, we have a good show today. We're going to talk about that playoff push. We're going to kind of put that in perspective uh, you know, as Steven said, the week itself was not super interesting, but uh, a couple of takeaways that we have, and, and we'll look at how that is sort of shaping the league moving forward. Then we'll uh, dive in on some of the games from the weekend that were particularly good. I'm going to start with that Chiefs Raiders game. Patrick Mahomes just completely brilliant. We'll talk about Taysom Hill. The the experiment there worked for one week. Uh, obviously, the Saints. Came away with a win over the Falcons, but Steven still had some reservations about that. I loved what the Colts did against the Packers. I, I think that we are seeing a team that 
uh, we've been high on from the beginning, and then there were questions and whether or not the defense was good enough. And now it, it feels like they are one of the one of the teams rounding sort of into proper form heading into the playoffs. So we'll talk about that. Going to dig in on the Ravens losing to the Titans again and people freaking out about the Ravens. Uh, and then a couple other just lingering thoughts to Son Watson, who just, I mean, the guy was amazing. Carson Wentz was the opposite. Uh, and we'll talk about that Joe Burrow injury. Uh, really sad day for the NFL. I mean, we, we've criticized Burrow plenty, but nobody wants to see him get hurt. Uh, you know, it was just a brutal play. Uh, so we'll get in on all that, and then we'll look forward to some games. Obviously, it's Thanksgiving week. There'll be three games on Thursday. Bucks-Rams is the Monday night game later tonight. So some exciting football over the next few days. Uh, but, Stephen, let's get right into the playoff review. I, I know that you have walked away from this week believing more than ever in the Chiefs, uh, that, that basically the Chiefs and the Saints, uh, that those are the two teams you still see making it to the Super Bowl. Uh, just tell me where you are with the league right now and, and sort of how, how it all ranks out for you. Yeah, I mean, we're at the point where, like, the Chiefs don't even seem to have to try. Like, you watched that game last night against the Raiders, and, I mean, it didn't even seem like they were really putting in any effort. And I know that's, like, ridiculous to say because they're football players and they're professionals and they try every play, but it really just seems like they can flip a switch whenever they want on offense and score a touchdown whenever they need to. Like we're at the point where if they need a touchdown, we, everyone just expects them to score it. No one was surprised at how easy that final drive looked. And I remember I wrote an article. I I think this was like three years ago. It might've been the last year of Mike McCarthy's uh, time in green Bay where they were playing a Monday night game against the 49ers, the 49ers somehow with CJ Beathard, had a late lead and there was like two minutes left on the clock. Aaron Rodgers with the ball, like 80 yards to go, just needed a field goal. And I started writing the article before the drive even started. And I was basically saying like, this is going to happen. And like, as the play, the drive was happening, I just kept adding to the article, like Aaron Rodgers just do a perfect back shoulder pass. And like, it's the same with Mahomes. He's at that point in his career where you just expect him to win every time. It's almost like the Michael Jordan zone where, you're legitimately shocked when he doesn't come through in the clutch. Yeah. I, again, like you pointed it out that these narratives like, Oh, it doesn't even look like he's trying or he's not being challenged. Like those generally are bunk, right? There's just not much to those usually uh, in, in fact, but Patrick Mahomes, it just looks like he's like toying with teams sometimes. Like he's experimenting with what type of throws right, yes. he can he can make and what type of you know can I roll to my left and throw back you know fifteen degrees to my right like just crazy stuff that he makes it look so easy too right it just looks like he's trying to break the game sometimes mm-hmm. right like he's just trying to expand the boundaries of football uh, rather than sort of do what's been done before uh, and it's just it's artistry I mean it's like it's amazing to watch I think. And, and it's nice because I think everyone realizes it, right? Like everyone gets psyched for games that Mahomes plays. Everyone knows they're watching pure brilliance uh, and, and just reveling in that. It's good. Like it's, it's fun. Like that's the point of sports. Uh, and and, and how, how demoralizing is that game for the Raiders? Who like Derek Carr was great. 
he was legitimately great. And really, I, I think Derek Carr looks like a different quarterback. We talked about this last week, how I think people overreact to individual performances by quarterbacks where, like, say, Baker Mayfield throws for 300 yards and a touch and three touchdowns. But he does it like doing play action and doing things that we are knew he could do there's like no evolution but honestly with Derek Carr and I've been as critical of Carr as anyone on the internet probably like this is real tangible evolution we're seeing like he's getting outside of the pocket he's throwing deep doing things that everyone has always criticized him for like this is the reason why Raiders fans call this Derek Carr haters because he wasn't doing this stuff and now that he's doing it like he looks like a top 10 quarterback this year and it didn't matter. He was great. The running game was great, and they still lost. Now, the running game yeah. was just okay. It wasn't great, but it was good enough. And right. and it didn't matter. Like they played, and they played a good game defensively. And like it just doesn't matter. It's the Chiefs. They they don't have to play their best game to beat even a playoff contender like the Raiders are. Right. Yeah, I I will defend you though. You you know you were. I don't think you've always been super critical of Carr. I think you were just sort of laying out what he needed to do to get to a next level. You're basically just saying that he was average. I mean, basically right around, you know, 16 to 24 or something. So slightly below average, I guess. I think Uh, even higher than that. Like when I first wrote about him, I suggested that he was like a tier two or three quarterback. And I wanted to see more out of him before I put him in that first year and the Raiders fans like deemed me a Derek Carr hater. Like I I don't think calling like a 25 year old quarterback, a tier two quarterback is really an insult, but I guess it turned into one. And he was basically getting no pressure back then. I mean, they had that insane offensive line for a little bit and he would, he could just stand back in the pocket. And like you said, it's not that anymore. Like he's much better at getting out of the pocket and making throws. He's much better at climbing the pocket and making throws. Uh, Like he's actually made, taken some of the steps that you talked about. And and it's interesting because we talk so much about young quarterbacks and Justin Herbert and Tua and Joe Burrow uh, and, like, projecting them forward. Like, we, we do tend to believe, like, physically there are a lot of things that can't be taught and can't don't generally change, right? Like, there, Joe Burrow, there's very little evidence to suggest Joe Burrow is going to get a much stronger arm as he ages. But understanding the game, that stuff – does you know, people players do pick that up and it's funny you write today about Taysom Hill we'll get to it later but you write about the fact that he's already 30 and he and he has not had the in-game reps to really take huge leaps uh yeah. mentally uh so whereas but we're just seeing that from Derek Carr like that's like this is it right like this is a quarterback who is you know, not a superstar but a competent player and he's taking enough steps uh to to be worth mentioning you know, and, that's- and here's a stat that points to what I'm talking about. He's, and I don't think this includes uh, Sunday night's game, but according to PFF, he already has 17 scrambles on the season, and wow. that's a that's career high already. That's right. that ties a career high that he hasn't had that many since his rookie year, and he's also one scramble, one first down scramble away from setting a career mark in that category too. So he's making more plays with his legs. And he's just throwing the ball deeper this year, too. So kudos to Derek Carr. He deserves all the you know compliments he's getting this year. I'm not going <laughs> to hate on him this year. Love it. Love and it. he's Love always it. had that physical ability. That's what was so frustrating about watching Derek Carr is like he's a great athlete. 
like his combine testing numbers, he's one of the most athletic quarterbacks to enter the league in a long, like in the last decade. And right. he's got a great arm. So it was always frustrating that he didn't use these tools. He was like playing like Ryan Fitzpatrick should play. Right. Uh, the, the Raiders, by the way, fall to six and four, but they still have a 70.8% chance of making the playoffs. According to ESPN's FPI, uh, the ratings are out today. Uh, Seth Walder on Twitter also tweeted out this amazing chart. You should find it there at Seth Walder um, that sort of shows each team's percentage chance of getting each seed. Remember, there are seven uh, seeds this year. First time that the playoffs have been expanded. Uh, so uh, I'm wondering if the Raiders do finish, uh, you know, the way that the playoff picture is shaping up, it's the the Raiders are finishing seventh. The Browns are sixth. Uh, and that leaves the Ravens on the outside and the Dolphins on the outside, obviously. How do you actually see the bottom of the AFC shaping up? I think we know we're all pretty confident that the, I mean, the Steelers actually uh, have a pretty good chance to get the number one seed. They remain, they are 10 and zero. they do have to play the chiefs. So, you know, that game will probably decide who gets the number one seed there, but both those teams are going to make it. The bills sure look like they're going to make it. Uh, the Colts and Titans are both very good. We're going to get into those teams a little later, but the bottom still has to be sorted out. How do you see that eventually forming out? I'm still going with the, the, I think the Ravens are going to take that last spot. I think they'll end up maybe knocking out the Raiders. I don't know. I have to look at the schedules, but right. the Raven, after this Pittsburgh game, the Ravens schedule is, I think they're going to win out. I mean, you okay. never know. Like you can drop a game. Like they go to Pittsburgh on Thursday. I, I'm still thinking they win that game, it, but a lot of it depends on if they get healthy on defense. If Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell come back uh, healthy this week, and I think that's a big reason why they ended up losing the game on Sunday. So that that's one of the reasons I'm not too worried about them. But after that, right. they go. They play Dallas. They play at Cleveland. They play Jacksonville, the Giants, and then the Bengals, who won't be with. Joe Burrow, obviously. So I, I only really see them losing one more game. And that puts them at 11 and five, I think. And there's no way they're missing the playoffs at 11 and five. Uh, NFC, the FBI again over at ESPN has the Saints, obviously, most likely to, uh, you know, they're at 99.7% chance to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. Uh, looks like the Saints should hold on for that number one spot. Uh, Green Bay Packers will will be will win their division, it looks like. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> remain a 44.3% chance. It's hilarious because their their chance to make the playoffs is 44.3 and their chance to win the division is 44.2. So they're because they're equal because they're that's they're three, six, and one. This, How do they? They have a point one chance of winning the, <laughs> a wild card spot. <laughs> I, apparently, uh, that is that that would be the read there, and they don't because their their schedule is so hard. Me before, I cannot believe that they actually are still as favored as they are. Uh, and then the wild cards right now would be Tampa, Los Angeles, and Arizona, uh, with the. Uh, I guess the Bears are really the, the Bears and the Vikings. Or the Vikings lost though, so the Bears would be really the only team pushing, right? I mean, it feels like that's a this is a pretty clear playoff picture here. Yeah, and 
I mean, I've been saying this, like, let's just fast forward to the playoffs already. Like we've seen it. <laughs> we really, especially in a pandemic, do we really need to play out the rest of the season? Have you heard of revenue, Stephen? Have you have you heard of the owners <laughs> and what they care about? They're not even getting that big of a gate with limited well, crowds, so yeah, I don't know. They're, they're getting that TV money. I'm just saying, uh, can I can I like take off for the next month and just like recoup? Uh, well, else? Uh, yeah, I mean, you probably have enough. Uh, you probably have plenty of <laughs> off time, so <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, it feels like pretty clear. It's just a question of whether the Rams or the Cardinals, you know, as far as jockeying for positions. And then obviously the NFC East, the NFC East is just up for grabs. I mean, it's whoever, yeah. whoever. The Giants are three and seven. The football team is three and seven, and the Cowboys are three and seven. Uh, so which team, like, needs to make the playoffs the most out of that division? That's, I think I, that's I, the question. Like for culture reasons, yeah. I I don't know what it. I, I have a hard time pretending that it matters at all in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I, the Eagles would probably no. I would say the Cowboys would be most damaged by making the playoffs. Like that would just be a horrible <laughs> result because they know they have no chance. And then they'll keep Mike McCarthy. Right. So, the you know. Eagles. I feel like. I don't know. I don't think Doug Peterson is in trouble of losing his job. I know like his seat is getting hot, but I think he survives another year because like, what's the point next year is a lost year, no matter what, like there's no fixing this in one off season. Hmm. So like, I don't know. I feel like draft, even drafting another quarterback and bringing in a new coach for a lame duck year. I don't, I really don't see the point of that. Just keep these guys around. Maybe they turn it around. And if they don't, then, then you find your, your new coach. Yeah. I mean, the Giants aren't going to move on from Joe Judge. Uh, Washington's not going to move on from Ron Rivera. I don't know. Yeah, it feels like most damaging would be the Cowboys, right? Because it would just yeah. give Jones false hope. Uh, but he's going to make bad decisions anyway. <laughs> he's, he's actually not a good general manager. I, will, I, I have will, him in my top I will, 10. I will state that for the record. Uh, all right. So that's where things stand uh, right now heading into, what is this, week 12, the Thanksgiving week? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, but let's get to games. I know we talked a little bit about this Chiefs Raiders game. I feel like we sort of covered that, but uh, you know, as you said, the Chiefs just sort of at the end, it felt like they uh, it was never really in doubt. Although it, it certainly was, uh, you, you know, the score was close. Would the final end up being thirty five, thirty one? But uh, you know, just uh, they're they're at a different level. I think I think. Two weeks ago, you said they were what? A uh, couple week, couple tiers above, two tiers above the rest of the league. Is that still how you're seeing this? Uh, maybe the Saints have <laughs> crawled within a tier of them, but they're still <laughs> on their own plane of existence. Like there's no one else in their league right now. And again, the Raiders played as good a game on offense as you could expect. Their car averaged 0.57 EPA per play like that would set records over the uh, a full season and they still lost like it did i i keep saying it but it's a one team league right now it's the chiefs right. and i'm just i think they're going to turn it on in the playoffs we even saw this in the playoffs like they in the first halves of those games they weren't playing well 
and then they just turn it off, turn it on in the second half, and then just blow these teams away. Right. It happened in the Super Bowl. They didn't blow the 49ers away, obviously, but they were down the whole game, and then Mahomes does his thing, and that's all it takes is just one or two drives of Mahomes being magical, and then the Chiefs win. Right. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, so this uh, you know, the Raiders score to make it uh, 31-28 uh, with 143 left. Carr finds Jason Witten for a uh, TD pass. And I – like yeah, it's just it's shocking. It's shocking. Just Patrick, Patrick Mahomes came on the field and it just did not feel in doubt. And then he just seven plays, seventy five yards, a minute fifteen, uh, and finds Travis Kelsey for the touchdown. Uh, it was, it, you know, it's just he's he's totally operating on a different level at this point. He's just a, a player that I think as fans you have more confidence in him that he's going to make those plays than pretty much anyone else in sports right now. I mean, it's a little bit like LeBron was a few years ago. He's just executing at that level. Um, you know, football's football, so anything anything could happen in the playoffs. But right now, it's 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 pretty extraordinary to watch. You mentioned you mentioned that the Saints uh, took a step forward. I, I do want to talk about Taysom Hill. Obviously, Taysom Hill is one of the bigger stories going into last week. We talked about it. We joked about it. We pretended that you shouldn't even talk about Taysom Hill. And then Sean Payton immediately named Taysom Hill as starter because that's how things go sometimes. Uh, so we have to dig in on that, and we, and we will. But to me, the bigger uh, thing that you noticed, you're, you're, the more important observation coming out of the Saints beating the Falcons is that the Saints defense for you has really put it together and is reaching that upper echelon. And that, to me, is what makes them the most dangerous team in the NFC East and the potential challenger for the Chiefs. Did you just try to put the Saints in the NFC East? Uh, NFC, sorry. I, well, yeah. They, Don't put that on them. Uh, I would not, no. <laughs> High school teams should be in the NFC East. <laughs> but, yeah, their defense has been really good. Like, we've talked about their weaknesses like throughout the season, one of them being they're giving up a lot of big plays. And I think they figured that out for the most part. And they definitely figured it out against the Bucks when they played them on Sunday night. They didn't give up any real big plays. No, they gave up one big play on the first drive. But after that, they didn't really give up a lot of big plays. The Falcons, who aren't a good football team, but they can't pass the right. ball. And they have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan still. But I really think they figured things out. And it, it's not surprising that there was – a learning curve for them they added malcolm jenkins i know he's been on that team before but he hasn't been in this defense and you add a player like that i think he's really a guy who, who changes your secondary so it's going to take some right. time to adjust right it's right. similar to what we saw in kansas city last year with tyron matthew it's similar to what we saw in baltimore with earl thomas and now and those teams like follow the same path as the saints are this year defensively like there were some awkward moments be at the beginning of the season, but they figured things out around midseason. And then they were one of the better defenses in the league in the second half. And that's what the Saints have been since like week nine. Or e I think you can go back further. They've been a top five defense by EPA. Right. And one, yeah, of, the I think they, one of the things they do so well is just stop. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast is just stop the run with fewer numbers. They play a lot of two high coverages, and that, that allows them to bracket receivers going up the seams and in the slots, and those are the right. easiest throws for NFL quarterbacks. You make them right. throw to the perimeter. Tom Brady wasn't able to do it, and that's why they had so much success. I don't think Matt Ryan was really able to do it either. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Malcolm Jenkins thing, I, I know that we both were a little dismayed that it didn't have immediate impact. In fact, there were games that Jenkins looked lost. I mean, he looked bad uh, early in the season. Uh, but that's probably just a reflection of how much respect we have for Jenkins. And you wrote, uh, when the Eagles were good, uh, you wrote about how important he was their defense because he did so many different things, you know, and that's, I think that's one of our core sort of beliefs here is that on defense, the more, uh, the more diverse you can be and the more uh, tricky you can be, you know, that's the thing with Belichick is that he can, he can make his defense morph week in and week out or quarter to quarter uh, and he can then bait offenses into doing things that he wants them to do he has he uses guys that are nobodies I mean that's one of his hallmarks is he takes dudes and and makes them finds out the one thing they can do and has them do that and has them ready when when he needs that to be done they're there and they're ready uh, that's a particular skill set that's very hard to replicate it's uh, it's a little bit better when you can sign a dude and he can do a bunch of things, and that's Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, Jenkins is probably, all things considered, underappreciated in the league. Uh, but it, it obviously was going to take him time to fit into what the Saints are doing and reacclimate to that uh, and and fill those different roles. But now that he's doing it, uh, they've been really, really, really good. Um, and, you know, like the Falcons' offense is good. <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the this team that, that they just shut down. You know, they have some Julio Jones obviously was hurt again and, and was in and out and was not very effective, but uh, it's still a pretty good offense. Uh, so let's get to the Taysom Hill discussion. Hill, uh, as, as I noted, was that was the big story on Friday, I guess, that he was going to start over Jameis Winston, which is a slap in the face to everything this podcast stands for. <laughs> um, and uh, Hill, his numbers – as you mentioned, so Steven publishes the NFL take dump every Monday morning. And the top take today is that there's no realistic way Sean Payton's Taysom Hill gambit ends up paying off. I like the use of gambit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clever, savvy, savvy headline writing there. I've been watching um, Netflix. I've been watching the chess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he, you know, it did, it did, he looked good. They obviously won. He ran for two touchdowns. Uh, he had some embarrassing throws, but all in all, he threw the ball okay. Uh, his numbers were fine. I'm looking for, I know they're in here somewhere. I'm not, I'm not seeing them right now, but, uh, you know, he, he had respectable throwing numbers, but he averaged 10 yards per attempt. So, yes. Right. I mean, okay. one of them was like a ball that he just threw into the, he just sort of lobbed up in the uh, Emmanuel the Sanders. Just, yeah, Emmanuel, the and then famous, Emmanuel Sanders uh, caught it. <laughs> the famous Superdome wind caught it. Yeah. Uh, and then the, I forget who was defending on the play for Atlanta, but he like slid past because he was like, what is happening? This is weird. And went, went too far. <laughs> Sanders caught the ball. Um, but ultimately, you don't think this is... Like, there's no payoff down the road. That's the thing. This is being framed as everybody knows what Jameis Winston is. Everybody knows his flaws. Turns the ball over too much. He's too aggressive in some situations or whatever. Uh, But Hill is more of an unknown, and the Saints have invested so much in him. They've developed him over the years. They're paying him a lot of money. They need to see what they have. But to you, that doesn't make any sense. No, and this isn't even like a, a Jameis thing. 
it really has nothing to do with this decision to start Hill over Jameis. It's just, I, how does this end well for the Saints? Like, how does this end? Let's say Taysom Hill continues to play like he did. He looked like an average quarterback, which I think is a win for the Saints, a win for Sean Payton, who's been telling us that this guy is a decent quarterback. He's been a little more – he's given him a little more praise and compared him to Steve Young, which is a little ridiculous. But let's say he comes out of this stretch looking like an average quarterback, which I think he will because he's playing the Falcons defense that's not going to, like, hurry him up in the pocket. I, they're not going to force him to make tight window throws. It's going to be easy. He does play a Broncos team next week that gave two of problems, and I think it will give Taysom Hill problems, but that's besides the point. So Hill comes out of this looking like a competent starter. He goes into next off or next season. I don't know who's the starter next season. I don't know if Drew Brees is going to retire or not. He might play another year. But let's say Hill goes through another season where he looks like this for a full season. Looks like a decent starter, like Teddy Bridgewater level. Okay, what does his contract look like? Because next year is the last year of his contract. If he's a, your starting quarterback – I feel like contract negotiation negotiations start at twenty five million, and they probably yeah, go higher, even more. higher than that. Yeah, it's it's only if it is twenty five, it's only because of the uh, COVID hitting the 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 revenue and the and the cap not going up. And by then, I would expect it to be back to normal. I don't know. You never know. Look at you, Look at you optimist. Wow. Right, right. So. For in order for him to earn a contract like that and become a really valuable player he would have to be a top 10 quarterback and what are the chances of that happening i would say zero just because of how he plays he's not a great like he's a good runner and you can build an offense around that and i think he's a useful player but he's not going to become a top 10 quarterback after not playing the position for basically five years now and he, he was never like a great passing prospect to begin with and then you add on the fact that the last time he was a full-time starting quarterback he couldn't finish the season yeah. Like he'd never finished seasons at BYU and he couldn't finish seasons because of how he played and how he played is the reason why the Saints have this faith in him because he's a right. great runner who can run through dudes. He's a unique player at the quarterback position, but that skill set gets him hurt. So, and he's already on the wrong side of 30. Right. So Tays- even if, even if he does yeah. develop into something useful, how long is it going to last? Right. Taysom Hill is what Cam Newton's dumbest, stupidest critics have said to Cam Newsom was from the beginning. Like he right. is just a guy who like can't really pass the ball and he can run, but he's not like Kyler and Lamar where he's avoiding contact. He's like, he's a big tough runner uh, and football is brutal. <laughs> so right. uh, it's, you know, there's just not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of end game there, as you note. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I mean, it feels certainly to me like, they ultimately, I think what the saints are doing is just taking a more conservative approach. They're just, they're not change. You know, they don't need to, uh, we talked about this, putting Winston in means that they're probably going to want to take a few deeper shots. They're going to, the offense is going to materially change from what they've been doing under Drew Brees. Cause Brees's arm uh, from what we've seen is not, he just does not have the pop that he once did. So, so he's throwing short passes, short, quick passes. And that's what the offense is built around. And Hill, you know, you don't have to change it too much. You know, you, you, you 
let him keep the ball a few more times. Obviously, Drew Brees is not running the football. You sort of switch that a little bit, but it's not uh, a drastic change to the passing scheme. It just feels like sort of the conservative approach to me. Like they're just okay. We're gonna we're gonna get Brees back, and he did go on IR, so he's gone for at least three games. But two, another one of those games is against the Falcons, who are obviously not very good, uh, and just we're just gonna sort of weather this with Hill, and then. Uh, Breeze will be back and we'll, we'll march on. Uh, and that's my read of it. Yeah. And you're not changing the drop back passing game a lot. Right. Like obviously you're running different concepts, but I think you're running fewer concepts. And then one of the concerns I have about Taysom Hill, just continuing the success, especially against a coach like Vic Fangio next week is if you look at his next gen passing chart, like all of his throws were concentrated in one area. And I'm not exaggerating. Like all of his right. throws didn't feel wild. Hard up the left yeah. seam basically yeah. and like team def- nfl teams have hit charts they see that they know like right. oh if we let's just defend this area and right. force them to throw where maybe he's not comfortable throwing so if the offense is left-handed it's going to be much more easier to defend obviously in the running game he adds a benefit that you breeze would never add Right. So that makes things harder there. But I really think this passing game is going to be a lot easier to defend. And I think we could see it in two weeks when they play the Falcons again, when they get another crack at Hill and they know what to expect out of them. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. The counter. Let's talk Colts Packers. This is a game that we highlighted heading into the week. Obviously, it was going to be a good one. Two teams near the top of their divisions. Uh, Two great quarterbacks. I, you know, I thought I thought it was great how Rivers after the game, Philip Rivers, sort of admitted like I can't make a lot of those throws that Aaron Rodgers can make, right. uh, which which obviously all of us know, but it's just nice to hear a guy be like, yeah, I'm I'm just out here dinking and dunking. Like I, I get it, I know my role, uh, and he really has has fit in. You know, he's all those concerns from early in the season, like maybe Phillip Rivers does throw too many interceptions. All those are gone now that he's on a competent team that's run well. He's clearly able to uh, to do exactly what he needs to do. And he's, you know, he, he does not lack a clutch gene or whatever, whatever his critics were trying to say. Uh, but what do you, where do you, where do you see the Colts right now? I mean, how serious are they as far as, uh, jumping into that, are they in the second tier below the Chiefs in the AFC, or are they? You know, obviously the Steelers are probably right there. I know that you still have the Ravens there. Uh, how serious are the Colts as far as contending? Uh, I would, I wouldn't put them in that second tier. I think it's the Chiefs in their own tier. If we're talking about strictly a- AFC, mm-hmm. Chiefs in their own tier, Steelers and Ravens in the second tier, and then like. The rest of the teams, I really don't think matter. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna win a playoff game, but they're not gonna challenge those top three teams for the Super Bowl spot. So, yeah, I'd probably put them in tier three along with. I still think they're closer to the Titans than that game on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago implies. Right, and I'm trying to think of the other teams in the conference. They're better than they're clearly no, better than not kind of above the the Browns, even though they lost to the Browns. What about the Bills? But, Oh, that's good. I forgot about the Bills. Uh, I don't know what to think about the Bills. Like, it's been two teams. That first team we saw, or that first month, we saw a completely different team, a team that I thought was capable of challenging the Chiefs. And then the second month, and basically since then, 
they haven't really been good outside of that Seahawks game. I think they're getting better and they're improving like on both sides of the ball, but I still don't think they're ready. I think it's they're a year away and another year of development from Josh Allen. He needs to take another leap that's comparable to the leap he took from year two to year three. Right. Uh, I thought Michael Pittman looked really good. He's had a little bit of a slower start than, uh, you know, you were really high on him in heading, heading into the draft. Uh, and I think he's now emerging. I uh, had three catches for 66 yards, including a TD. Um, only, only targeted three times. I mean, I feel like they're, they're not quite sure how to get him the ball and that they also fell into that trap of thinking that he was like a big body who was going to make contested catches and not necessarily run after the catch. But he's really good. Like he's, yeah. he's very good with the ball in his hands. They just sort of need to give it to him on screens or, or quick slants or whatever because uh, he really is a great playmaker. Uh, the Packers defense did nothing, I assume, here to to prove to you that they belong in the discussion over the NFC. Yeah, I really think this is a one team discussion. I I think it's the same as the the AFC, where it's the Saints and then everybody. You're writing else. off the books already, too. Yes, but just because I think the Saints are a horrible matchup for them, mm. and I I also think the Rams are a horrible matchup for them, and we'll see on Monday night, whether that's the right. case. But the, the reason why I think that I was watching the film of the Saints defense versus the Bucks offense from a few weeks ago. And one thing the Saints really did well was take away those seam routes that Brady has in the slot receivers that Brady has really attacked this offseason. They forced him to throw outside. And I just don't think he's capable of doing it consistently well. Like he, he can make those throws. It's just making them consistently and doing it for a full drive and stringing drives together against good cornerbacks out there too. The Saints have a deep secondary and can match the Bucks receivers as well as anybody can. And it really puts the onus on Brady to beat them with good throws. And I just don't know if he has that in him yet. Yeah. Uh, man, you're making, you're making the league sort of boring. I can't lie. I know. I mean, it makes it's, doing the take down so hard. Like, <laughs> I None say of all these matter. Yeah, all these teams don't matter. And then it's week eleven, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm writing about Jake Gruden for my takes. <laughs> but we need to talk uh, about Jake Gruden. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL, and he should not be starting. And it, like, why aren't we up in arms about the Jaguars tanking? You've, wa- you've watched Carson Wentz, right? He yeah, and he's way better than Jake Luton. Jake Luton does not deserve to be on an NFL field. I'm sorry. Like the uh, fact that they're starting him over Mike Lennon, there is no valid reasoning for doing that. Like it's not them evaluating him. There's nothing to evaluate. It's like the Raiders putting in Nathan Peterman to evaluate him. Like that evaluation is over with, and he's not helping you win games. So the only explanation is we are tanking and we are trying to lose. Which I mean, it's I valid. To just admit it. Yeah, I, I, I respect the tank, man. I do too, but when I have to watch you them play it, every week. You can't admit it because then the league like tells you who has to be your GM. I mean, you, you saw this happen with the Sixers, right? Like, yeah, There's true. a reason you can't admit it. It's, it's anathema it's in pro sports. That's how you, you know, know it's Elton Brand, Brand is your right, GM. <laughs> right. Uh, after a dude with a burner account uh, <laughs> destroys everything you were building. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean that's really the reason why, right? Like it's it is the savvy move, and we should just be more honest about it. But I, you know, there's this 
there's this idea that it's somehow dishonorable to lose to 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 rig a system that the NFL itself built. I mean, the NFL built the system to uh, shuffle good players to bad teams. Like that's that's their whole thing. I mean, it it should be it should come as no surprise that then teams would attempt to be aggressively bad rather than just mediocrely bad in order to get better. But here we are. Uh, you can't. You just can't come out and say it. Um, let's get on to the Ravens game. Uh, Ravens played the Titans. Titans end up winning late. Um, Titans have beaten the Ravens second time this year. Uh, obviously ended their playoff run. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will tell you that the level of panic here in Baltimore is absolutely off the charts. Uh, you know, the Ravens are like in their bunker mode where Lamar Jackson is, you know, saying that everyone wants them to lose and sort of challenging the haters to just get off the bandwagon forever. Like we've reached that part of the narrative (laughs) where uh, there's just a whole lot of anger going back and forth. And this game was weird, you know, like the John Harbaugh went out to, I don't know, perhaps fight Malcolm Butler or something because of the Butler was standing on the logo. I mean, it was just one of those, like, you could just tell that the Ravens are wound very tightly right now uh, and, and feeling a lot of the pressure. But, yeah, like, teams sometimes need this stuff. Like, they need the weirdness to go through things. Like, yeah, and especially, like, the Baltimore Ravens sort of have that baked into their DNA because of Ray Lewis. Like, uh, Ray Lewis just always had these weird, like, enemies in the shadows targeting him, and that's sort of how he fueled himself. Uh, he's just a weird dude. Like, and, but, but a little bit of that DNA has just subsisted with the Ravens ever since, uh, ever since he was their leader. Uh, so <laughs> some, of those, some of those people, uh, behind the shadows trying to get Ray Lewis were like detectives. <laughs> Police officers. Yeah. Um, but not quite to that level at this point, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, Ravens seem to be sort of eating themselves up. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, Derek Henry runs for this touchdown, the game winning touchdown in overtime. Uh, and there's a lot made about the play. Like, look how, you know, look at Henry dance, like look at the blocking. And like you said, the Ravens, the defense is just nowhere near what it should be. Cause Calias Campbell, their huge off season, uh, addition. And then Brandon Williams, who's, uh, really an underrated run stopper are both out for this entire game. So not only were they out period, but they were out, for you know, in an extended game where the the Titans kept giving the ball to Derrick Henry, who weighs like I don't know three hundred seventy five pounds and runs a four five, like the dude's a total freak, like he is. But it's not like Henry had a ton of yards. He carried the ball twenty eight times for one hundred thirty three yards. A bunch of those yards came on that last uh, touchdown score. He had uh, the Ravens had really kind of bottled him up a little bit before that. Uh, you know, did a pretty good job on him. So I think that's what leads to you. Where is your faith in the Ravens coming from? Because I think right now you might have more faith than like the Ravens even have. (laughs) It's like they are they are trying to conjure up faith through anger at this point. But you you have steadfast faith. (laughs) So I'm wondering where it's coming from. Well, to be honest, this faith like isn't going to cheer up Ravens fans anyway. Like my faith is based on them like this season not mattering anyway. They're not going to beat the Chiefs. <laughs> so what you're really looking at is, like I have no faith in this 2020 team. Mm-hmm. But 
with the Ravens struggling, everyone's going to be like, oh, is Lamar, has Lamar been figured out? Is like, is he going to be this good for a long period of time or is he going to start to decline? But he's been pretty good like the last three weeks. And like his EPA numbers are fine. His, his success rate is fine. All those numbers are fine. He's been fine. And he's doing this with a, a bad supporting cast. Like there's no way, other way to put it. The offensive right. line is fine. I mean, maybe bad now that they've lost some guys on it. Right. Uh, Ronnie Stanley's out for the year. Uh, the receiving core is just bad. There's right. just- I mean, Des Bryant stepped into this game and, and had four catches for 28 yards, which was second on the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and Mark Andrews, the tight end, was first. Uh, yeah, I mean, and even Mark Andrews is just Mark Andrews is like a good tight end, but he's not a game changing tight end. Right. There. There's like two of those right now, and he's not one of them. Right. And so it's really hard. It, it would be hard for any quarterback to look good in this this team, in this offense, which is so built around Lamar Jackson's own individual brilliance. Right. And when he doesn't have help, it's easier for defenses to key in on him. But he's still finding success. He's still moving the ball. Like the, the Ravens scored plenty of points in this game. But they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. So, I mean, just give up on that dream and you'll feel better about the future. Just (laughs) one year you get lucky. I don't know. Mahomes has a down year. (laughs) I don't know. You get lucky and you beat them. But the Ravens, I still think they're the second best team. They're the most talented team behind the Chiefs. And really, like, spot for spot on the roster, I think, like, they can match up with anyone. It's just they need to find a receiver, like a number one receiver. And if they do that, I think all their problems are solved. Once they're uh, off of the line, it's healthy, of course. Yeah. Ryan Tannehill didn't wow you yesterday. You, you don't, you're not coming around on Tennessee at all. Uh, you don't see them. No, not at up. all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even have anything to add to that. I don't think they're a serious contender. Obviously, when they have Derrick Henry, who can just run for 200 yards whenever, like any given Sunday, then they have a chance. But it won't even matter. He can run for 300 yards against the Chiefs. They're still going to lose. All right. Uh, there you have it. Uh, one team that we thought was, uh, I think we've we've lauded them as maybe the best coach team in the league, and they were, I can't remember how many games they won in a row. Uh, talking about the Dolphins, uh, they won five in a row heading into this weekend and ended up losing to the Drew Locks, the Denver Drew Locks, uh, which is never a good sign. Um, what, what happened here? Do you have any thoughts on this one? I mean, it just seemed like... Tua Tungabailoa got uh, yanked from this one. I'm, I'm not clear if he was hurt or if they just went to Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, I guess they're saying that they just made the change, but they're sticking with Tua as the starter. Uh, it was just sort of a weird game. Do you, do you take much from it? I mean, obviously, the, the Dolphins are still going to be in the wild card chase, but uh, it sure feels like their momentum has stalled completely. Not that momentum is no. a thing. It is a weird decision, but I feel like it's like a pragmatic one. Like right. I, think, I feel like it's a smart one, to be honest. Like two was taking a lot of hits in that game. He did. It seemed like he got hurt. I, he probably was able to play if he needed to. But right. I think the Dolphins probably view their quarterbacks as like totally even. They have just as good a chance to win with Fitzpatrick in there. And if your rookie quarterback of the future who does have a history of injury is getting beat up and you can't right. protect him, then it makes all the sense in the world to make a change. I don't think it was going to change the outcome of the game at all. 
So protect your your quarterback. The the move to Tua was with the long term in mind. So I think mm-hmm. this follows that same script. Right. Yeah. I mean, still, I'm still pretty excited about what's going on with the Dolphins. Uh, and you know, I think if you look back at any team that is sort of climbing out of a morass and figuring itself out, they have games like this where they should probably win. And they don't. Uh, but the Dolphins have also had plenty of games on the opposite side where they've, right. been, you know, they've risen up and beaten teams that they shouldn't. So this is all sort of part of that process. Uh, I do want to check in on one other game. Just looking for the score, the final score here. The Steelers beat the Jags 27-3. Everyone knew that was going to happen. Jags sort of like, you know, you could tell, as you, as you already mentioned, they're playing Jake Luton. They're like, they're clearly not taking this, <laughs> this season very seriously. That's clearly the right thing to do. Uh, they did some fun stuff. Like they tried an onside kick early in the game where uh, a wide receiver uh, ran up and kicked the ball. Uh, the Steelers, Steelers were totally on it. So whatever, this game happened. Steelers did what they needed to do. But I'm wondering what you saw from Ben Roethlisberger because that's the thing we're tracking here. We know the Steelers' defense is legit. Uh, but the question is whether Ben Roethlisberger can be dynamic enough in the playoffs to run this offense at a high level and win those tough games. Uh, and it's, it's gone back, a, a back and forth. It feels like a, a little bit of a wave, right? Like some weeks it looks like his arm has the strength it needs to some weeks. It doesn't. What'd you see this week? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a erratic game for Ben. And this is coming off last week where I thought he actually looked good and he was throwing the ball. Right. Well, I know he missed on a lot of deep passes, but it was really windy in that game. But this game, he he was missing passes again downfield. He did hit on like two perfect deep passes, but there was other ones that were just ugly looking, just ducks that died like a Taysom Hill pass. But his, <laughs> he was throwing into coverage and he was missing some of the underneath throws. I, I, these are the type of games that concern me about the Steelers going forward. Like right. the, the final stat line looks fine. He threw only one interception, although he could have thrown like two or three more. And his stat line looks fine. The, the final score is fine, but I really wasn't impressed by the offense at all in the passing game in particular. And you're not going to beat the chiefs without a good passing game. It's just not going to happen. And I'm really like, this makes me question Mike Tomlin even more. I don't know if we covered it on the last podcast, but I wrote about it, about how Ben was like, I didn't practice last week. My arm felt liver. Maybe right. I shouldn't practice as much going forward. And then, like, you see it. He practiced this week, and his arm went back to looking like it did two weeks ago. And right. I really think they oh, should be resting, Ben. Yeah, no question. We did we did cover it last week, uh, which I remember only because I mentioned that uh, I, too, am old like Ben. And it's just hard. It's hard. Oh, yeah. Old. So uh, I'm surprised I remembered it, quite frankly, because I don't remember maybe, things anymore. Maybe the Steelers should have you stand in for Ben during practice. Uh, I will head up to <laughs> Pittsburgh. I'm, I am ready and willing to do that. Uh, let's go through a couple more storylines that emerged from the week, not necessarily discussing the games. But Deshaun Watson single-handedly beat the Patriots. It was just him versus 11 defenders, and he still won. It was amazing. That's how good Deshaun Watson is. Uh, no, but seriously, 27-20, the Texans beat the Patriots. And Watson was uh, like just amazing. I mean, he's so good. I, I, I really – I know that you still have Patrick Mahomes pretty far ahead of him and then Russell Wilson, but I mean, Deshaun Watson, it's, it's impossible to evaluate because he's in such 
a stinky, stinky mess with the Texans. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he elevates them so much. Like, I, gosh, I wonder what it would look like with, with him throwing to real players and being surrounded by real talent. And he's so good. Right. And his stats from yesterday were, were really good. 28 of 37, 344 yards, two touchdowns and right. no interceptions. And he ran for another touchdown. But, like, I think that undersells how well he played yesterday. Yeah. He was throwing into tight windows. He's throwing downfield. He's making plays with his legs. Like, it was the best quarterback performance I've seen this season. And maybe I'm forgetting one from earlier in the year. That's totally possible. But I'm saying it right now. It was the best one I've seen this season. And I'm starting to think that the gap between – I still have Mahomes at number one. But I right. think that number that race for number two is getting tighter with him and Russell Wilson. Yeah. I think the gap between him and Wilson is much – smaller than the gap between Wilson and Mahomes. Right. Mahomes is on his own planet. He's just playing a different sport right now. But if you're going for number two, I, I mean, I might take Watson like long-term for the next 10 years. I really might take Watson because I yeah. think he's starting to do the things that Russ took a little while to start doing. Like Russ has been right. become such a better pocket passer over the last three or four years. But Watson already has that is starting to get that in his game too. Like he's he's just as capable of beating you from the pocket as he is creating the play out of structure. I actually think he's better in structure right now than he is out of structure. And it took Wilson a, a couple more years to learn that. Watson's only twenty five still. Right. Yeah. Pretty no, crazy. It's, it's just, yeah. I mean, he's amazing, man. Uh, meanwhile, the gap between number 42 quarterback in the league, Carson Wentz, <laughs> and number 41, Daniel Jones, keeps growing. <laughs> Wentz is getting more terrible somehow. Uh, I I just don't even know what to think about. I mean, the, the plummet from Carson Wentz's peak, which I, I think we're all pretty <laughs> convinced now that that is – that very well may remain his peak, the 2017 season before he got hurt, uh, to the player we're seeing now. And obviously he's not the talent. He does not have talent around him. It's not a very well-constructed team. The offensive line has been played by injuries. Uh, the, the receiving core has been played by what, – whatever. Uh, but the bottom line is that Carson Wentz is just terrible. And it's instructive to talk about it after uh, – Deshaun Watson, because Watson is in a bad situation too, but he's making it better. Wentz is actively making a bad situation <laughs> worse. Uh, he he is he is pulling the Eagles down, uh, and you, as you mentioned, you know, this is another part part of the take dump today. But you know, he's, there's just a lot of like. It, whatever the mistake, whatever the play calls for, whatever type of mistake, he rises to that occasion. So if it like, if the way to mess it up is to not throw the ball, he doesn't throw the ball. If the way to mess it up is to play hero ball, he plays hero ball. Like he's just making all, it's not that he's just making bad decisions, it's that he just seems to make the worst decision on so many given plays. Uh, and he's just wildly inconsistent. I mean, it's, it's just, it's sort of awful to watch. It's like just sort of sad and troubling to see a player be so far from what he once was. Yeah. I, I watched the bachelor. I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> and there's always this thing like with like the toxic men or even women where they're like, they do something crappy and the per the bachelor or bachelorette confronts them. They're always like, yeah, I have this problem. Whenever I really start to feel things for a person, I sabotage it. 
And like, I'm always like, that's such a stupid thing to say. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? But with Wentz, it makes sense. Like, no matter what the play call is, no matter how good it is, like, he's going to find a way to sabotage it. He's going right. to find a way to make it more difficult for himself. And we're at the point where we can't say like, oh, he'll figure out the hero ball thing. He'll learn how to play within structure. He'll stop making these bad mistakes. But at this point, it's just part of his game. Like those good plays that Eagles fans can still point to because he still puts them up like two or three of them a game. Right. right. They'll make a crazy throw, but they're not possible without those other plays. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's a problem. Like if you take uh, away the bad stuff, you're not going to get the good stuff. He's not capable of being a quarterback that just gives you eight out of 10 every play. He's going to either give you three out of 10 or he's going to give you 10 out of 10. And you can't right. win with a quarterback like that. Like we learned this lesson with Jameis Winston. Well, I still haven't really learned it, but I'm thinking about learning, like learning it. <laughs> Maybe the Eagles should sign Winston next year. Oh, that's God. Actually, that's actually a pretty solid idea. Sign Winston and have a two-quarterback system and see what could go wrong. Like, play them both at the same time. What about Jalen Hurts, though? You think you, you think the Eagles should play Hurts this year, see what they got, right? Right. And I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Jalen Hurts. Right. Like, I wasn't terribly impressed by his college day, but, like, why not play him at this point? I don't think you're going to – hurt Carson Wentz's confidence like maybe it will take a hit but he'll be fine I know people say I, I mean Carson Wentz's confidence needs to be hurt like right, he's, exactly. he's often too confident like I mean that's no. the issue but like people say like oh if you do this you're making a statement and you can never come back from that like what is that based on like, that's just I feel like that's just a narrative that's been created based on no evidence at all. We've well, seen every other position. Every other position in football is always up for grabs. Like, <laughs> I mean, you would never say that. Like, we can't, we can't move our defensive end because then <laughs> there's no. Like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. But I think Bortles got benched for Chad Henney in the preseason and ended up leading the Jaguars to the AFC Championship. It's signing an extension. You can come back from a benching. If Blake Bortles can come back from a benching, Carson Wentz could, can come back from one. And if he can't do something that Blake Bortles can, then why are we even wasting our time with him? All right. That's, uh, that's a good life mantra right there. I like <laughs> that. I like that. I might, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down uh, real quick. Um, let's talk about Joe Burrow. This, uh, her, like I said, I mean, it was really a tough hit to watch and tough. He sort of got just barreled over by the Redskins defensive line, which is very good. Um, it, but you, you pointed out in the take dump that there's just way too much blame on the Bengals offensive line. Like somehow the Bengals have failed to protect Joe Burrow or their offensive line was so bad that he was endangered, but this was just like a football play. Like this, this, these plays happened all the time and it just, it just broke poorly for Joe Burrow. I mean, he stood in, he was brave. He made the throw and he took a hit and that hit ended up being terrible. I mean, it's just amazing that it doesn't happen more often in football, quite frankly. Yeah. Like there's a reason why the the NFL has put in rules to, to stop, hits low on the quarterback but that's not even what happened here his guy just got right. blocked into Burrow's knee it, it was like very similar to the play that basically altered Carson Palmer's career with the Bengals the St- right. in the Steelers game it was a similar play no one was saying oh god the Bengals offensive line killed Carson Palmer it was just a, an unfortunate play and really the Bengals offensive line it's been bad but it hasn't been oh you're going to get your quarterback killed bad it's just been like 
bad for a standard NFL season. The Chargers offensive line has been much worse. The Jets offensive line has been much worse. They're probably three or four teams with the worst offensive line right now. So I don't really think it makes sense. And like you said, it was – I actually think the offensive line did a good job on the play. Like they did their job. They provided him with a clean pocket. He took his drop. He took a hitch, and then he threw from a clean right. platform. That's all you can ask for. Right. So I don't get the criticism at all. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like Burrow has a torn ACL. I don't know that I've seen that officially, but that seems to be the assumption. Uh, you know, he tweeted pretty quickly after the game that he'd be back next year. Uh, obviously, the comparison a lot of people are making is that Carson Palmer tore his ACL and came, with the Bengals and came back and was was a, was just as effective. Um, and then. Uh, Deshaun Watson actually he tore his ACL pretty early in his career right 2017 I think he yeah. tore it and he was he was back for 2018 uh, and a lot I mean football again football is brutal like this <laughs> Burrow has a torn ACL uh, what are the other players Saquon Barkley has one uh, Nick Bosa uh, Odell Beckham Jr. like I mean there are a lot of guys that are going to be recovering from this um Burrow he was probably already eclipsed by, I think I was looking at the Vegas odds and they had Justin Herbert as the likely favorite to, to overcome Burrow and win offensive rookie of the year. Uh, but, but he was fine. Like Joe Burrow was what we thought he was going to be in his rookie year. He was, he was good at certain things, not good at others, uh, but was largely a fairly effective quarterback. Uh, do you see this? impacting his development development at all or just sort of the same guy will be back next year? Uh, I feel like it probably should be, uh, change the Bengals' view of him. Like, and that's not fair to him at all. But I think if the Bengals end up with a top one or two pick, they have to at least consider evaluating the quarterbacks in the draft. You have to do that because – Burrow, like you said, Burrow has been everything we expected him to be, and that's not necessarily a good thing because I <laughs> one of my takes was that like I don't think he's this blue trip blue chip quarterback prospect. And but we still have a lot of questions about his ceiling and whether he's a guy that's gonna be capable of elevating an entire franchise. I just don't think he's that type of physical talent. I do think he's smart and he's his floor is very high and he's probably gonna be an average starting quarterback above average starting quarterback by year two. But I don't know. I just, I really think you have to explore that option if you're the Bengals. And I would have said that before this injury, but the injury just casts some doubt on his future. And I honestly think it might be better for him if he is less willing to run around. Cause I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Right. But he is a guy that, was probably too confident in his ability to escape pressure and to create plays out of structure. I know it pays off sometimes and it worked and that you see that in the highlights, but there are a lot of plays where he's running into sacks and making that offensive line look worse than it is. So maybe now that he's, I would assume he's going to be less mobile than he would have been without a torn ACL. Maybe he's less inclined to break the pocket and try to make plays with his legs. Yeah. Uh, let's let's take the last few minutes of the show here to look ahead to these games. Uh, Rams Bucks is the Monday night game. What are you looking at here? Tampa is favored by four in this game. What what are you looking to see? I mean, both these teams are solidly in the playoff hunt. Should make it. Should be in that wild card grouping. Uh, what sort of things are you looking at as you try to evaluate 
the season going forward for, for and the prospects for these two teams? I think it's the same things we've been looking at all season with both these teams. Like, is Jared Goff going to not crap his pants <laughs> in the face of all that pressure? Like, you know Todd Bowles has just been watching that Dolphins game over and over again. Right. And he he's just going to unleash hell on Jared Goff. And I just really want to see, one, how, if Sean McVay has answers to protect him. I do think that this is a team, an offense that can get the best of this Tampa Bay's defense and how they – approach early downs. I think they can attack them on early downs and avoid those situations where Jared Goff is going to be under pressure. I want to see that. And then I want to see like what I talked about earlier. Can Tom Brady perform well if teams are able to take away his outlets over the middle, if they're able to take away those seam routes and those in-breaking routes, which the Rams defense, I've written about it before, like that's how they play defense. They look to cut crossing routes they look to double the seams they want to make you make the toughest throws on the field which are perimeter throws to the outside and Tom Brady hasn't proven yet that he's capable of making those throws consistently and I think tonight is going to be a chance to prove that if he if the Bucks offense plays well against his defense and Brady's throwing passes to the perimeter I'm willing to reassess my take that the Saints are really far and above the best team in the NFC uh, Thanksgiving has one completely trash game, Texans-Lions, one game that is uh, vitally important for a divisional race and yet is still complete trash, and that's the football team versus the Cowboys. And then it has Ravens-Steelers, uh, which should be fun and should be interesting. Uh, what are you looking for on Thursday? You and I are both working Thursday, uh, so we'll be blogging the NFL. Uh, what are you looking to see out of these games? Uh, I probably do. <laughs> I'm only going to watch the first two games because I have to. <laughs> I'm not going to learn anything. From you don't have game. to. You should eat. You should eat turkey, man. You 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 could eat turkey during the first two games, and then I'll eat turkey during the last game. But I'm very much looking forward to the Steelers Ravens game. Yeah, should be. Cool. I think that's a game that's going to force some people to adjust their priors. And those are the games that I'm interested in at this point. And we're only getting like a handful of those per week from now on. We're not going to get a lot of games that matter going into December. We're going to get a lot of like Bengals, Giants games, and there's nothing to learn from those games. So I'm going to cherish one of the last few games that really, I think, matters for the whole league, how this game goes. And I'm going to enjoy that. And I, I... Still picking the Ravens. I still think they're the better team. But I will be keeping an eye on the injury report to see if Calais Campbell comes back. I think John Harbaugh needs to have you in a team meeting. You need to zoom into a team meeting and be like, guys, I still believe in you. You, you think he wants me to uh, put out that message that 2020 is over with and it doesn't matter because the Chiefs <laughs> are going to win anyway? I don't know. That might fire him up even more. They're, although they're pretty fired up. Uh, yeah, I, that, fe- that game feels like... I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly feels like one where the Ravens will play extremely well. And the Steelers are very good, but I'm not sure 11-0 and 0 good. Um, right. If I could pick two more games left on the regular season schedule to watch, it would be this game. And then I think it's week 15 when the Saints play the Chiefs, which is also the game that Drew Brees is supposed to return. I think those oh, would be yeah. the only, those would be the two games that I would pick. I, the rest of the games, I'd, I'd honestly we're not going to learn anything from them and they probably don't matter for this season. (laughs) 
And there you have it. Just stop watching the NFL. So stay tuned to the counter podcast but, for analysis on all those games. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you are terrible at making, uh, finding ways to continue making us money and keep the audience engaged. I'm sure Charles uh, McDonald will come and respark the podcast and get us more excited. I'm sure he hasn't been beaten down by covering the Jets and Giants. <laughs> He's probably worse off than me like when it comes to optimism about the NFL. Uh, we'll see. What are we doing? Uh, that's all the time we got for this week. The uh, 50th, this Monday, the 50th episode of The Counter. Uh, as we said, there's a there's game's Thursday, so we're going to be back. We're going to record Friday morning uh, with a wrap-up of those games and a look ahead to... Um, I got some sirens so going can, on. Yeah, I was going to say, the police are coming for you, which I'm... I heard my takes. They're arresting me. They were fire. Maybe it's the fire department. They just thought your takes... Oh, were it is. Too, it is. It is a, a fire little too hot. Yep. A little too hot. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back Friday. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, we're super excited about Charles McDonald eventually joining us on the podcast sometime early to mid-December. Uh, we will turn this into a three-man booth, and it'll be fun. Steven, closing thoughts? Uh, I got nothing. I, I actually, please, for the love of God, Jaguars, start Gardner Minshew. I don't care if his thumb is falling off. Do not subject me to watching Jake Luton again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't All stress right, well, enough how bad he is at football. I really can't. You have to watch the game. And no one's going to watch the Jaguars. I, I want cut-ups. You, cut, you need to do cut-ups of Jake Luton's okay. worst throws of the season. That's that's what we need, okay? That's how we're going to salvage this football season. Uh, anyway, find us on Twitter. He's at the Stephen Ruiz. I'm at Chris Gorman. And then find, find Charles McDonald. Find our guy. Uh, he has one of the better-known... Uh, Twitter Twitter names in NFL football, and that is at 4Verts. Uh, you will enjoy following him, I promise. And we will talk to you next time. Enjoy the turkey. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 